Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us know your name, study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen, amen, amen. Well, it's been a busy week, glorious week, wonderful week. And <clears throat> earlier in the week, I was, uh, as I mentioned yesterday, I was in the midst of the Aliyah day, which, which was all, of course, about the days of Pesach and the, and the various readings that we had for the days of Pesach. And uh, midweek at some point, I don't know if it was the second or third day or whatever, but Hashem just really impressed upon me in a very uh, powerful way this, this idea of, of, of going beyond, going beyond. And that is to say that, um, as I said yesterday, we encourage people to tithe and always have. I've always been a big believer in that, that the Zakin's a big believer, God is a big believer. So all of us working together... Y'all just now caught that. You're like, yeah. <laughs> and I, I've, my personality, my wife will tell you, my personality has always been, tell me what, what can't be done and let's do it. Yeah. Which, is why we're, which is why we're here, actually. <laughs> so um, people are usually interrupted uh, by people telling them they can't do something while they're doing it. Um, and so... I was saying that it's always been a phenomenon that any congregation you have, no matter what um, kind it is, uh, the people who actually tithe fall below the, the 10% tile. Usually it's in the 8% or 5% or sometimes less. And um, I just had this illumination because that day in the Aliyah, giving was part of the daily reading. And I thought, you know, it ought not be. We should be a synagogue where 100% of our families, members, people are giving tithe, not a tip, because a lot of people tip God. And God doesn't need your tip. He wants your tithe. So we're not talking about tipping, and we're not going to tiptoe around the subject. Ha, ha, ha. We're talking about the tithe today. So it's been a very busy week, and it's been a lots of uh, stuff going on. And when it came time to look at the topic today, quite frankly, I, I, I wasn't precisely sure what the reading of the day was, and come to find out, it's about tithing. <laughs> so, bam, here you are. <laughs> so I, but honestly, I believe Hashem is trying to tell us something. I believe He's trying to, obviously, He's trying to uh, wake us up um, into a new level of blessing. A lot of the ideas I'm going to share with you today are not new. You've heard them before. I've taught on them before. But it's going to be a renewal because this is all a, about a season of renewal. And this is how our uh, members are going to ascend to whole new, light, whole, whole new heights. You understand right now, because we've come out of Pesach, the first month of Nisan, Nisan is starting to... Um, uh, wind down, we're going to be going into ER and so on. We're, we're making, we're on an ascent. This is an ascent. 
we're going to Shavuot, we're going to get the Torah, we're going to keep ascending all the way through the summer months, we're going to grieve and ask God to send us the third temple speedily and soon during the three weeks, and uh, we're going to come up to Rosh Hashanah where we're going to crown God king, hopefully Mashiach will return at that time, and that'd be fantastic. And then uh, we'll go through the days of awe, you the Yom Kippur, and then we'll be at the height, and then we'll continue on up to uh, Sukkot and dwell in the Sukkah. Hopefully that this year we'll be dwelling in the one that made out of Leviathan's skin, drinking the wine that God has made from the grapes of Ganadin. May it be this year. And then we get to go to uh, Hanukkah and have a rededication of our temple. And then we start everything over again with Purim. So uh, it's just amazing. So today's message is, is going beyond, and here's the question to ask yourself, look into the proverbial shiny laver and ask yourself, are you tithing? Are you tithing? And if not, then the response is it's time to trust Hashem. And so I don't have to bring up the message that was sh shown to us when Yehoshua, Yeshua, conquered, uh, was conquering the Holy Land. God said the very first city that you're going to conquer, Jericho, that city and everything in it, all of its belongings is a tithe to Hashem. You're not allowed to take anything from it. Everything else you can take. Every other city, you can, you can divide the spoils. Jer Jericho, no way. And so what happened? They take Jericho's mighty victory. It's amazing. They did it by the blast of the sh shofar, right? They didn't even fire a shot. <laughs> of the arrows, yes. And the walls came crumbling down, and it was amazing. So they're all confident. We just took the, like, the most powerful city. We took it. God helped us, obviously. So we're going to go to this little village named Ai, this little bitty nothing village, and we're going to, uh, it'll be, we'll be there, we'll be, we'll be back, don't, you know, keep my coffee warm, we'll be back in a second. And of course, we get routed. Why? Because somebody took the tithe. One guy out of the community, and everybody suffered. Many of you are veterans. You know what it's like when that one person, or a lot of female veterans too, or that one, one guy or one girl who, in your platoon who took something or did something you weren't supposed to do, everybody's doing push-ups. Everybody's holding the M16 out like this for like five hours. Why? Because one guy. And so the rest of the platoon members encourage that person not to do that again. <laughs> With words of wisdom and love. <laughs> We're going to encourage you not to do that. So it's all a message to us that we're all in this together. Not allowed to have, you know, everybody tithing but, but me, right? Just like it's not allowed, it's, it's totally unkosher to go to a, uh, to go to a potluck dinner with nothing. <laughs> right? You got to bring something. You got to be something of value. You know, everybody's got to bring something. Everybody's used their talent. God gave you a talent, so let's be using it. 
And so it's also, by the way, it's, it's say, someone say, well, I don't, I don't give of my money, but I give of my time. So do I. So do they. And so do those guys back there. And so do these guys over here. And so do these ladies over here. So do the ladies that showed up and uh, cleaned that spent, and, and men who spent seven hours cleaning this shul out of comments. They also gave their time too. But see, that's an excuse a lot of times that's used. I'm just going to be honest with you. You can't say, well, I, don't get, I give of my time. I'm so sorry. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Because we all give of our time. All right? I live here. <laughs> my wife owns a house by the lake. And I eat dinner there and I visit her. <laughs> so I just want to tell you, don't fall into that trap either. Give up your time, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And write the check. Because, see, here's why. Your money represents all of you. Your time is just part of you. So by giving of your time only, you're just saying, I'm, or even your talent. I'm going to give my time and my talent. That's only part of you. But your money is all of you. Why? Because when you go and earn a living, you're investing your entire being into doing that. That way, when you write that check, all of you is being put on the altar. But if you just give your time, your talent, I'm just going to volunteer. You're just putting half of you on the altar. God, I'm just going to give you a limb, but not the whole thing. Because I've got to keep this. You can have this. It's going to be brutal. <laughs> but y'all can take it, right? Your rabbi is a Marine, so this is what you signed up for. The Abundant Vine, I shared this, I put this in the uh, Mila Messiah handout, but I, I just love it. Let's read it again. The Midrash Tankuma Tetzabe 13.5. It is told that a certain scribe went to Jerusalem each year, and the people of Jerusalem knew that he was an outstanding student of the law. Now, I'm going to stop right there. He's an outstanding student of the law, so they were respecting him because of that. He, he, he's a student of the law. Great. That's not why he's blessed. Listen to this. It says, They said to him, Take these 50 pieces of gold and dwell among us. I have only a single vine, he replied, but it's more valuable than anything you can offer me. For it provides me with three crops a year, from which I gather 600 barrels of grapes. The first crop produces 300 barrels, the second 200, the third 100, and I'm able to sell them at a considerable profit. So what did he do? He left them and returned to his vine. He received this reward because... He poured the wine as an offering upon the altar. If he had failed to pour the, the wine, good things of the world would have been withheld from him. The reason that he had the vine that produced so much is because he tithed a portion of it. It wasn't because he was a brilliant scholar. It wasn't because he knew the Torah so well. It's because he gave. Giving the tithe and being generous in tzedakah is a Jewish tenant. We're not talking here about we want to give so that you can have an escalade. Maybe you will. We're talking here because we want God to release his blessings in our life. And as I said in the Aliyah, this is the only mitzvah out of 613. I want you to think about this. Out of 613 mitzvot, the sages agree, this is the only one we're allowed to test God. Not allowed to test God with any other mitzvah, whether the kosher, Shabbos, wearing seat seats, wearing tekel, wrapping tefillin. No other mitzvah allowed to test him, only one. And that's with tithing. And not only are you allowed, but God asks you, like, test me. Test me and see. If you don't give to me, I don't bless you. The altar Rebbe taught that if you give tithe, you're guaranteed to get back at least four times, minimum. 
So we're, this is the only mitzvah. Think about that, how, how important this is in God's eyes and how much he wants to release us into an area of extreme blessing. So much so that it's one mitzvah he takes out of 613 and says, test me in it and see. So, Rebbein Yubakia, just bring forth Rebbein Yubakia here and share a few insights from him on this passage. It says, pay your tithe, pay both tithes. Aser te aser, aser te aser. According to the plain meaning of the text, after you set aside and give to the Levite your first tithe, set aside the second tithe for yourself and take it to Jerusalem to consume it there. There are actually in Torah three tithes. <clears throat> Two are always in play. The first tithe goes to the Levites. That's the 10%. That's what keeps the Torah learning and Torah teaching going. It wasn't about the temple. The Levites were in every village all over, and their mission was they were the ministers of the land. They were the rabbis of the land. And so they're the ones who did the brises and did the weddings and did every, the burials and did the Torah teaching and every, everything, everything. And they were specifically told by God, I do not want you to be involved in secular activity. I don't want you to be involved in secular trying to make a living. Why? Because you can't do that and focus on the flock at the same time. If the shepherd is busy at the fire station, he can't watch the sheep or not just the fire station or police station or down at the mechanic shop or whatever he might be doing. He can't take care of the flock. He'd be somewhere else, right? Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> so he said, I want you to, but as a, here's the problem. If they're not working, they're not tending land and so on, how are they going to make a living? That's where you come in. So the point of the tithe was to keep Torah going, right? keep, keep Torah going in the, in the earth. But there was a second tithe. The, the second tithe was the tithe that you set aside for yourself so that you, your family, your friends, indigent people, Levites, and priests could all celebrate the festivals together. That's where you took all that money and you were to go up to Jerusalem and have a big party and invite your, you know, hundred of your closest friends. And you were supposed to spend that money on that event. And Deuteronomy 14 here is where we are confirmed that, God, that uh, Hashem is not mad at us or doesn't not want us to drink uh, alcohol. <laughs> I mean, it's right here. I share, I've shared this with so many people. They're like, what? It says it in the Bible? <laughs> it says right here in verse 26, buy what you want. Cattle, flocks, wine, alcoholic beverages. So there's that. The third tithe <coughs> was not every year. That was a tithe that we gathered and we gave specifically to people who were destitute. Notice it says that, the, that uh, Mashiach said the poor will always be among us. There will always be poor. That's why the war on poverty is, I mean, you're always going to have poor people. A lot of times people are poor for various reasons, you know, um, but there are always going to be poor people. Rabbi Nubakia says this is certainly something in the category of an experiment, talking about giving to God, giving our tithe to him, and then watching us uh, be blessed. He says the Talmud in Tani 9 quotes Rabbi Yochanan as saying about the words aser taser that the Torah implies you should give your tithe in order 
that as an eventual result, you will become wealthy. That's what it says in the sources about tithing. Give your tithe in order to become wealthy. Now, this is where we have to be balanced because we need, on the one hand, to give our tithe because we love God and we understand that he gave us everything that we have to begin with. And we really have to internalize that. And we say that a lot, but I think sometimes it does, goes in one ear out the other. But the reality is, is that everything comes from God. Let me tell you a little story. It happened to me just recently. I've got a um, part of our yard that has become bald like me. And for various reasons, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's happened like that. And so it's, it's, it's vexed me the last couple of years. So at Lowe's, they had pallets of uh, St. Augustine grass. And I've got St. Augustine grass down there in places. <laughs> <laughs> so I, was on a, uh, our daughter was ill, so I took her to the doctor on, on a Thursday. And it was you know a couple hours till time for the yumtiv. And so I was leaving the office, and it's right there by Lowe's, and there is the pallet of grass, and I jumped out of the truck. I did park first, and I ran in there, and I got 15 squares of this grass. And so I, I put it down. I, so I'm out, I'm out there, you know, with, with a little, uh, the little uh, what do you call it, the tiller, tilling up the ground and everything, and, doing, and trying to be quick about it, you know, putting down this grass, you know, and got it all down, watered it real good, and then, uh, oh, great, Rukashem looks beautiful. I need to get some more. But anyway, it looks good. So now I'm worried about it. So I'm like, oh, Shem, I, sh I can't water the grass because it's yomtev. And this is going to be Shabbat. I can't water the grass. So I'm scared that it shouldn't, it should die. But I want it to live because it looks nice and I want it to grow. And then Hashem reminded me. He said, I thought you taught a dross one time. that said that I send angels to cause every blade of grass to grow. And so I'm standing out there looking at my grass, and I said, you know, that's right. You cause this grass to grow anyway, so let it grow. Let it grow. Let it grow. You know? So I'm just saying, it's a reminder that everything comes from God. Every single thing comes from God. Whatever money you have, here's the thing. Okay, here's another beautiful insight you're going to love me for. God has ordained at Rosh Hashanah what you're going to make all year long. Therefore, when you give back to him, you, your cup doesn't diminish. Because what you have to live on is what he's ordained for you to live on and all year. You say, well, I, just give, I give this. That's why you spend it on God or spend it on mitzvah, which is the same thing. He, your cup doesn't diminish. It's like pouring the glass of wine from the bottle and the bottle doesn't ever go low. But that only works if you're tithing. If you're not tithing, your bottle goes low. So it says... Uh, it says, this is a, certainly in the category of an experiment, Rabbeinu Bakia says, it appears to violate the commandment not to test the Lord from De Deuteronomy 6.16, but our sages have point out in the Talmud and Tana 8.9 that God actually says, test him in Malachi 3.10. So here's a Midrashic approach. 
The repetition of the word aser, taser, or is a veiled warning. If you do not give your tithes, you will become impoverished rather than remain more wealthy by withholding the amount in question. The wording also contains a hint that people who travel overseas should donate 10% of their profits to the people who are studying the Torah and, by extension, teaching it. So here's a story of somebody that forgot this message. This is in Rabbeinu Bakia's um, commentary on this topic. Considering all these facts, Moshe warned the people to be careful to observe this commandment meticulously. So we, we forget that. When we're reading the story, these stories about giving, we forget that Moses is being meticulous and saying, be sure to remember the tithe. He says, there was a farmer once who fulfilled his duty and tithed his harvest properly. As a result, he was left with a net amount of 1,000 measures of grain. When he was about to die, he told his son to be careful to observe this commandment meticulously. He told him how much a particular field yielded annually and to be sure to give 10% of that amount to a Levite. He also told him that he himself had been able to subsist comfortably on the harvest of that field after he had set aside the tithe. The son, who was a miser by nature, a stingy person, sowed the field, and the first year it yielded the amount his father had said, and so he gave the 10%. The second year he was too miserly to do this, and therefore he set aside only 90% instead of, or excuse me, only 9% instead of 10%. And he found that in that year, his field yielded only 90% of the regular harvest. Becoming upset about this, he again decreased the amount he set aside for the tithe until the number of years of such misery, miserly conduct, the field yielded only amount which his father had given away to the Levite as a tithe. God always, see, here's how it works. This is the vicious cycle. I can't afford to tithe, therefore I don't. And God says, all right, now I really can't afford to tithe, so therefore I give even less. Okay. Now I'm just going to give God a tip, and God goes, okay. Now you can live on the 90% or you can live on the 10%. That's your choice. We're about to read here in a second. Hashem's message to us is you can live on the 90%, or we can trade roles, and I'll have you live on the 10%, and I'll live on the 90%. Right? So it says here, when his relatives and neighbors began, became aware of this, they all dressed in white garments and approached the farmer. <laughs> yeah, you got to love. These are Sar Salon people right here. When he saw them, he was, he was uh, upset because apparently they had come out to celebrate his misfortune because wearing white is a symbol for celebrating. The neighbors said that they certainly did not come to gloat, but seeing that in the past he had been the owner and God the priest, that is, the recipient of the tithe, because when we give our tithe, we give it to the, the great high priest who is God. It says, now the tables have been turned, and this farmer had become the priest, requiring the handout, and God had become the owner. So they dressed in white to teach the, the son a lesson. Since you consider yourself God, we thought we would come in white before you. Because you've kept the tithe for yourself, but that belongs to God. So obviously you're the priest, and he's the owner. 
This is what Moses meant when he warned, says Rabbeinu Bakya, if you do not give the tithe, you will eventually become the one who is dependent on the tithe. If you don't become the giver, then he'll be sure that you have to be the receiver. The poor person is what it's talking about. You'll be the one that requires the tithe. It's the one that's asking for alms. Tankumo Re'e 18 comments that if you merit it, you will go out and sow your field because it says here which the field produces. The one known as going out into the field However, if you don't give, then you'll be the one going out to be harassed by Esau. This is a Rabbeinu Bakya. I didn't write it. The produce, of the, the, the produce of your sowing, if you merit it, the region you go out to your field will be to examine it if it needs rain, and if so, God will provide the rain. If you do not merit it, the region you'll go out to the field is to bury your dead. This is saying that there's not a, you lack blessing. That's the whole point, right? It says, The tithe of your grain harvest you great, and your grape harvest. It is, only, if it, it is only your grain harvest if you tithe it if, if it is not my grain harvest. The same applies to the grape harvest and the oil harvest. The interpretation is based on Hosea 2.11. Assuredly, I will take back my new grain in its time and my new wine in its season. In other words, just like the festivals, if you fail to give, then it, it becomes truly yours. But if you give, then everything becomes his. It's like the festivals. What I, what I meant by that when I said it's like the festivals, it's like the festivals of Isaiah chapter 1 and... Uh, where it talks about God says, I'm tired of your offerings. I'm tired of your new moons. I'm tired of your Sabbaths. And so the question becomes there, wait a minute, God, you commanded us these, so how is you calling them ours? And the answer is because you're not doing it with the right spirit and the right heart. And when you're doing it with the right, wrong spirit, the wrong heart, when you're just doing it as, as, as lip service, now it's all your stuff. But once you do it with the right spirit of the right heart, then it's my stuff. See, when, once we give to God, then it becomes you become his business. And I'm just going to suggest that he's a good business manager. Yeah. You become his business. You give you the 10% and, and there you are. Now he is now involved intimately in your business. But once you withhold it, then it becomes your business. And now you become the, 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 the managing responsible partner. I don't know. I'm going to go with God on that one. The sages teach, by the way, that you should not give more than 20%. 20% is the maximum. 10% is, is you're, you're fulfilling it right. You can, go up to, you can go up to 20% total giving, but you shouldn't go over 20%. If you go below 10%, the sages say you have a stingy eye. That's just the long and short of it. Now, you might be listening to me and saying, I'm not, I haven't been a tither, and it, I, I'm having difficulty with ends meeting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I would suggest that's why. But here's the thing. You say, well, I'm going to pray about it and try to work up. And my thing would be, just do it. Just do it. He didn't say, test me, go ahead and give 7%, see if I do it. He didn't say that. He said, bring in the whole tithe and test me. He didn't say, bring in the 3% and test me. Just do it. It's, it's either he's God or he's not. It's his word, isn't it? Test him. You're never going to walk on water unless you get out of the boat. 
Some things in life you've got to do, you just got to do because it's the right thing to do. That's what my wife was always saying. We do it because it's the right thing, not because we want to, necessarily. Sometimes we just do what's the right thing to do. And so you just got to do it and trust God. Maybe you have to cut back. Maybe you can't buy that uh, Michael Core purse, guys. <laughs> I'm talking to y'all right now. I'm not talking to them. Amen, amen. Preach it, preach it. Maybe you have to cut back on the deluxe platinum gold uh, cable package you have with the NFL ticket, you know, and all that. You know, maybe you got to cut back on that a little bit. Maybe you can't buy that iPhone uh, 27 <laughs> yet. You know what I mean? You might have to be wise with your money. There's always that. And to that end, um, Rabbi Monk says something very critical here. It says, in order that Hashem, your God, will bless you in all your handiwork that you, that you undertake. He says, this verse teaches that we may not assume that Hashem will bless us even if we sit around and do nothing. So I'm a big, listen, as much as I believe in tithing, I'm a big believer in this. Work or starve. <laughs> got to go to work. Got to work hard for the money. <laughs> and I've done lots of things in my life to put bread on the table. I've done all kinds of, y'all know, many of y'all know, I've, I've done everything from working on commercial dishwashers to driving over the road trucks to all kind of stuff just so I could make a living. And trying to make ends meet. And so he's saying here, rather, rather, he says, the blessing will come in all your handiwork. The bless, this is how God operates. He will bless you in your handiwork, not in your sitting around waiting for the doorbell to ring and somebody hand you a big check. He'll bless you when you go to work. And you're faithful, uh, whether you work for someone as an employee, you own your own business, God will bless you in that. And I should also add that he'll, he'll give us what he knows we will be responsible with. Amen. And uh, there was another an interesting insight that says that why are there wealthy people and why are there poor people? Because wealthy people know how to handle the money and, and take care of it. And what poor people, if they had a bunch of money, they would just waste it and it'd, it'd be in one hand and out the other. So this is why wealthy people are blessed and they're required to be givers because they're holding on to something that's not theirs. Which is why God said, why are you stealing from me? Because if you hold on to something, if you hold on to that 10%, that 10% is not yours. It's in your bank account, but it's not yours. Therefore, when you hold on to something that's not yours, that's called theft. It's not yours. I want to say this one more time because I want to soak in. This is why God said, why are you stealing from me? Because you're holding something that doesn't belong to you. And listen, money is one of those topics where um, we don't like to, we don't like to uh, talk about. God, I'll give you my time. I'll, I'll increase my prayer life. I'll, uh, I'll go vegan I'll, uh, 
I mean, I'll, I don't know what, I mean, I'll wear all black and white, but don't make me give the tithe up. And here's the trick, though. Here's the trick. He knows that. Because that's what's most valuable to you, and that's why he wants it. <laughs> oh! That's why he wants it. Because he knows it's so valuable because he wants all of you, not some of you. So, moving right along here. This, is, uh, this, this has always been my most popular message ever. <laughs> the only way, this is, what, this is from the Rebbit scene, and it's true. The only way to multiply your money is to give it away. That's the only way. That's the only way. The Baal Haturim. The Baal Haturim has an insight here. Where's my Baal Haturim? Baal Haturim has an insight. He says, Scripture juxtaposes, you shall surely tithe the produce of your field year by year. Right before that, the verse before that says, you shall not cook a kid in its mother's milk. Those Scriptures are right next to each other, obviously. It says here, the reason is because just like it's forbidden to have a mixture of species, that is, like milk, meat and dairy together, it is forbidden to have the tithe mixed in with your, um, your, ha- your part. So God says, if you will observe the prohibition against kilayim, that, then I will cook, that is, I will cause to ripen your produce in its season, and you will prosper. So if we separate meat and dairy, then we need to be separating the tithe. In another Baal Torah, it says, Hashem, your God, will bless you in all your handiwork. Juxtaposed to this is the verse, Vezei davar hashmitacha shamot. This is the matter of the release. Release. Because it says hashmitah shamot. In accordance with this verse, it says, I will ordain my blessing and it will yield a crop sufficient for a three-year period. This is the level of blessing we're talking about here. Incidentally, Rabbi, or excuse me, Rabbi Trugman, writing about bringing in your first fruit, he, he brings down that, that this is actually about self-nullification. He says, the commandment of taking the first fruit to the temple contains a beautiful illusion teaching us how to achieve a joyous frame of mind. In the verse, and you shall put it, that is the first fruits, in a basket. The Hebrew word used for basket is tine, which the gematria of that, by the way, is Adonai. So to bring your tithe in the proverbial basket is to bring Adonai to Adonai. Like the bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. Yeshua is like the, he's the sheave we wave. We bring that sheave to God. This word has a numerical value of 60. Since by the rules of Gematria, the number one may be added to the sum to represent the entire word, we find an allusion to the Jewish law dictating that if one substance is accidentally mixed in with another, it becomes null and void, the ratio being 60 to 1. So if you have a big pot of beef stew and somebody's carrying a bowl of milk and a little bitty drop of milk drops into the beef stew, it's not necessarily invalidated because it's a ratio of 60 to 1. So it says the basket 
equaling 60 represents the person, the person's ability to nullify his or her own lust for honor by bringing the first fruit to God. This notion is also hinted by the fact that the Hebrew word for I, ani, has a numerical value of 61. These same Hebrew letters, when interchanged, spell the word for nothingness, ayin. Thus, the one who puts his first fruits in the basket, 60, is in effect nullifying his ego and a ratio of 1 to 60 and reaching the level of selfishness, which is ayin, the secret of true, true joy. Again, just in a few more references, Shabbos 119a and also Tanaith 9a, both in the Talmud. Tithe in order that you become wealthy. The Baal says this is the very, the very source of rejoicing when we bring in the first fruits to God. Brashis Rabbah 1.6, the world was created for the sake of first fruits. Because it says, Rabbi Truman brings down also that the Torah begins with the letter Beit, which is also the beginning of the word Bikurim. So when we give our tithe, when we give our first fruits unto God, we are fulfilling the reason for which we were created. And of course, I don't have to mention, it goes without saying, that we talked about theft of, of the 10%. And I, for those of you who know me, if you're new, if you're new here, uh, I don't know what to say, but I'm, I'm, I just like, I say things that are honest and I say things that are forthright and not always easy to hear, but who, wants, who has time for, you know, playing footsie around here? What are you talking about? We want to be successful or not, right? So we talked about stealing from God, but how about stealing from each other? Come on, people tithe here. I, I, it's, it's a shocking statement I'm about to make, I know, but the electric company re requires us to pay the bill. So does the water company. And we have a mortgage on this property. And, and we're going to get Bezrat Hashem a new parking lot. But I talked to several companies. And that's, that's 100 grand out there we're looking at. Parking lot and brand new sidewalks. Because, you know, we're, when it rains, you have to row down the sidewalk to get to the... And so, you know... But you walk on the grass because the sidewalks are underwater. That's, what's going on with that? That's going to end soon. We got a mikvah. That's a slow boat to China right now, but it's happening. Trust me, it's happening. It is happening. And uh, we've got the backyard out there. We can't put our sukkah up because if it sprinkles, that's a swamp. So we're going to fix that. All right? So that's going to be an outdoor kitchen, a prayer garden, paved stones everywhere, a big a big uh, pad for the sukkah to go up. It's going to be amazing. But anyway, we have light bill, water bill. Things happen around here. You know, just stuff has to, you know, it, uh, uh, don't, don't ask Shlomo, but it takes a little bit to keep a 15,000 square foot building up and going. Maybe you'd be shocked, right? Um, so the fact of the matter is, is that when you or I are not tithing, we are stealing from everybody else who is, because we're coming in and taking advantage of their lights and their air conditioning and their new parking lot and their beautiful uh, uh, thing out there, the, 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 the brand new refrigerator we have, uh, which is under the supervision of Rebbe Scene, uh, uh, and the kitchen <laughs> and the brand new sidewalks. We're stealing all that when we come and we give a tip. That's right. 
There you go. Everybody else is working hard for the money. I won't sing it. But, you know, they're giving. All this right up here, this did not manifest. You know what I'm saying? Is that okay to be real? Because we all want to be rowing together. If, you, if we were all rowing for our lives, anybody ever try to row in the ocean? Yeah, get you some. You're trying to row for your lives out of, out of the surf, right, Michael Kahn? Watch online, North Carolina. And you look over there, and one of your buddies is kicked back, feet up on the side of the boat, drinking a cold one. And you're doing this. Y'all know y'all get up and throw him right out the boat. <laughs> y'all know that would happen. Don't even be like, well, we would pray for him that he would start rowing with us. Yeah. Take that oar and uh, right off the side. I know Mikael would. <laughs> Man, that is the truth. I want to I I I bring down one, one more insight because I'm... Run out of time here. This is an insight, again, I'm just stuck on Trugman here. But he brings down an insight to this so good about how bringing in our first fruits is akin to gathering in the Holy Sparks. We have to understand something. We're praying, and Matt prays every week. I pray every week. Everybody prays to gather in the Holy Sparks. But... But God says, I can only bring in the Holy Sparks as, as you're bringing in the, 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 the tithe. Yeah, because God operates that way. There's the, the spirit has to react to the natural. That's why when you're doing mitzvahs, you can't just sit around and go, I want your spirit, oh God. God, I want your glory. Are you doing anything? Nothing, not at all, nothing. And God says, when you start doing something, I'll do something. That's how that song happens, just like that. <laughs> Taking the first fruits up to the temple, Rabbi Truman writes, represents at one and the same time the quintessential elevation of the physical world and the realization of humanity's ultimate purpose in the world. The Baal Shem Tov compares gathering and preparing the first fruits with redeeming the sparks of holiness scattered throughout reality as a result of breaking the, the vessels. Furthermore, he explains that bringing the first fruits up to Jerusalem symbolizes returning the sparks to the divine source. When we bring in our tithe and other offerings, we're, we're, we're saying, Hashem, I'm bringing in my essence of, of everything I've done. And one of the reasons among many is because I want you to bring in some more holy sparks. You say, well, how does that work exactly? Rabbi, I said, that's all God's economy. Don't ask me how everything works. But I'm just telling you that when we lay our life down on the altar, God will bring in another soul. But what do we know? What do we know?